Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. Uh, so this is the fourth and final Sunday of Advent. So traditionally in a, uh, a Pentecostal church, Advent really isn't celebrated a lot. It's seeming more and more. Uh, but Advent kind of comes from, I, I grew up in a Presbyterian church, a more traditional church, where Advent was always celebrated. And so behind, you'd seen the candles before, so there was a candle lit every Sunday before Advent, and on Christmas Day, the white candle is lit. So it won't, it won't be lit because we're not going to be here, but that's what happens if you see the candles and the white one's not lit. That's because it's not Christmas Day yet. Uh, so the Advent season is a period of preparation where uh, the church celebrates the birth of Christ and also the return of Christ. So we, we look forward to his first coming, which we celebrate at Christmas, but at the same time, we, we expect, the Bible talks about his imminent return. And sometimes I think, what's imminent? You know, we're looking at 2,000 years here. Uh, That's kind of not what I think of when I think of imminent. But there's a time coming that he will return, and we have to prepare for that. So that's what Advent is. The The three weeks we've had before, we've talked about hope, we've talked about peace, we've talked about joy. And today's theme, like you've heard, is love. And so uh, I've, I've titled my sermon, uh, The Challenge of Christmas. Uh, you know, you, you hear about family getting together on uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and it's always the tension of family being together. I don't understand the tension myself because I have such a great family. Uh, yes. <laughs> Three out of my four kids are here this morning. Uh, with their spouses and children, and so I, I, I don't feel obligated to say it. I enjoy being together. Uh, so I want to go back, and re- I'll refer to the scripture in John, but I, I just can't go through a Christmas day, eve message without reading from the book of Luke. Uh, I have three favorite passages in the Bible. The one talks about, and when the fullness of time had come. And then at Easter time, you read... Uh, the, the ladies come into the tomb and the angel is there and he says, why are you seeking the living among the dead? But I love this passage from Luke chapter 2 and I, I want to read it because to me, we're talking about love and the coming of Christ as, as being an expression of love. And so when I look at this, this chapter 2 of Luke, I just want to look at it with the eyes that, of love that God had for us. So I'm going to read it and I'm, I'm reading it from the traditional King James Version because there's some things that just sound more wonderful when you read it from the King James. Not that the other ones aren't good, but I just love the way that the King James phrases it. So I'm going to step to the side so you can read it up here. But I'm going to read it from my paper. So Luke chapter 2. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that the world should be taxed. There. Things never change, right? <laughs> this taxing was the first made when Serenius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. 
And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That to me is, is Christmas, right? That's, I love reading that. I love hearing it read on Christmas Eve services uh, because it's, it talks about the love of God. So why did, why did this happen? Why did Jesus come? You know, it, it, it wasn't what the people expected. It's, it's interesting to me when I, I've, the last few years I've read the Bible cover to cover um, as just um, part of a challenge in a way because I'd never really done it before. And I've really come to appreciate the Old Testament because it's referred to so often in the New. And so if it's referred to so much, it must be important. You know, and, but when, the, when Jesus came, like the, there was this big expectation that the Jewish people had that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to deliver them from being oppressed. And being, they were a, a people of servitude for hundreds of years. They, they were in the land that God had given them, but then they had been stripped from it. Some of them had come back, but they were always a, a, a people that was under somebody else. And so even when the Romans were there, it wasn't the first time that the Jewish people were serving another realm. But they had this expectation for a Messiah that would come and he was going to free them. And they were going to go back to being the historical Israel and they were going to have this mighty Messiah Savior. But that's not what the Bible talked about earlier on in the prophets. It said that Jesus was going to come as a baby. And somehow over the years they missed that part. But it's, uh, it's, so it's interesting to me. But let's, let's look at 1 John chapter 4 verse 9 and 10. Let's start there. Because why did, it, why did it happen? God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So that was the love of God being expressed at the start of Christmas, that his son came, that he, was, he sent his son knowing in the end he would be sacrificed for the sins of men. He gave up so much because he wanted so much. And, you know, it, it made me think at first, um, what am I willing to give up to get stuff? You know, what, he, he, was, he had such a deep love for us that he was willing to give up his son. Uh, I think it's interesting that he didn't send Jesus as a response to people loving him. Right? There wasn't like, oh, people love me so much, I'm just going to send my son to them. In fact, it was quite the opposite. People weren't loving him. There was, there was the law, uh, but people weren't following it. They had chopped it all up and were doing different things with it. There was no love really for God. But he, he sent Jesus as, a, as his response to his people that needed him. And he had to make a way for it to happen because it wouldn't happen without him. He gave up his only son. So to me, the challenge of Christmas is actually found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. So love expressed, love expressed in relationships, and relationships aren't always easy, right? If... If relationships weren't people-dependent, they'd be easy. But relationships depend on imperfect people. Yeah. And, you know, once in a while, I say the wrong thing. 
I, I know, I'm, I'm surprised as well. Um, or I do the wrong thing. But there's a cycle in Scripture that talks about um, how to help us love one another. So I'm, I want to share with you, this is God setting the pattern, but there's a, there's a cycle that we go through that helps us to love one another. And I think it's important as we look to Christmas and thinking that, that God is love and he wants us to love one another, that if we follow this cycle, then it will be helpful, right? So the cycle of Christmas to help us with the challenge of Christmas. The first one is confession. You know when you do something wrong, it's good to confess it, right? So we're going to look at four things. Confession, repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. So again, confession, repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. So let's first look at repentance. 1 John chapter 1, uh, verses 8 and 9. So from the same book that we were reading from the Advent. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. So the first part of relationships in this cycle is when we do something wrong, we confess that we did something wrong, right? Um, and confession, when, when we're having issues with people, I think confession needs to be as accurate as possible. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, I did a bad thing. Okay, we all, we all did a bad thing, right? What, what was your bad thing? Uh, have you ever watched television and watched police shows? And, you know, they're sweating the guy in the, in the interview room, and finally the guy's like, uh, you know, the, the policeman says, so, you know, did you kill that person? And the person, yeah, nods their head. Well, it didn't do any good for them to nod the head. They say, I need, I need to hear you say the words, right? They needed to say the words, that confess that they had murdered someone or stolen something. It was important in, a, in that legal sense for them to have a confession had to be specific. So we need to hear the words. Confess your specific. What did you do wrong? What, what did you commit to do? And so start with there. So confess it and then repent. So Acts chapter 3.19 says, Now if we repent of our sins and turn to God, so that our sins may be wiped away. So, people have this confusion sometimes where, I said I'm sorry. Right? Have we all trained our kids that? Go say you're sorry. <sighs> am I sorry? Did I, am I sorry I got caught? <laughs> uh, that's hap that happens sometimes. I'm not really, you know, not really sorry, but I got caught and I know I have to say the words. But it, just saying the words doesn't help all the time, uh, because repentance is not regret. Right? Re regret is that, um, you know, I, I wish I could have done something better. I wish I could have done something different. Uh, I made a mistake. There's regret there. But just because I regret something doesn't mean I repent. And the idea of repentance is I'm going this direction, and I've done something wrong, so I've regretted it, but now... I'm turning away from that because I don't want to do it again. Right? So that's the repentance. So there's regret can be part of repentance, but you can't have so you can have you can have regret without repentance. But you can't have repentance without regret. So I have to go, I'm I'm confessing that I did something wrong. I am apologizing. I do regret my decision. I wish I'd have never made that decision. 
and now I'm going to really try my hardest not to do it again. That's repentance. If I just, uh, yeah, I'm really sorry until the next time because I know I'm going to do the same thing over again, right? That's regret. But it's not really repentance. It's not really repentance until you've turned aside from it and, and try your best not to do it again. Now, does stuff happen? And you might do the same thing again? Well, yeah, maybe. But are you trying not to? Are you doing your best to not do it? Right? We have this humanness still about us as much as we don't always like it. So don't do it again. Uh, sometimes you can't change the consequence of your action. Right? You've, you've said something. You've done something. And you can't, you can't fix it. But that doesn't mean that you still can't have regret and repentance. Uh, you may try and fix it the best you can, but some things aren't repairable. And some people may not allow you to repair it. Right? That's, that's the touchy thing, too. I can, I can apologize, and I can be sincerely apologetic, and I'm not going to do it again, and they still won't be my friend. They don't want anything to do with me. I can't help that. I can't do anything about that. But I can still do my part. But So there's confession, repentance, and then there's forgiveness. So if someone's going to come to me and confess something, and they're going to be repentant, then I, sh I should be quick to forgive. So let's look at what the scripture says in Colossians 3.13. Make allowance for each other's fault and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Can you just leave that up there for a minute? So, make allowance for each other's faults. It doesn't say, hey, you know what? Somebody may have a fault. There's an assumption here that we are going to have faults, right? Um, you are not a perfect person. If, if nobody has ever told you that before, let me be the first to assure you that you are not perfect. Uh, I am not perfect. I know that comes as a surprise. Uh, my wife would be quick to assure you that I am not perfect. But I also remember that, hey, you know what? Sometimes people say the wrong thing to me and have said sorry and as hurt as I may have been at the time, I need to forgive them, right? I need to get over that. They are, they are repentant. They are sorry. They, they have done what they need to do. And I need to be quick to forgive them because the example was the Lord forgave me. So it doesn't say you should, hey, maybe, you know, look at forgiving others. It doesn't say that. It says, so you must forgive others. Some things we think are choices, well, you know, I don't have to forgive everybody. They really hurt my feelings. They, they did this. You have no idea how much that person hurt me. You're right. I do not have any idea how much somebody may have hurt you. I have no idea what's happened to you in your past. But the Bible still talks about forgiving others. If they're repentant and they've confessed that sin, to be forgiven. Now, do I think that uh, we have this concept sometimes that forgiveness means you just forget? Well, I don't believe that happens right? You can get past something, you can get through something, but that will still always be a part of what happened in your journey. And so that makes it tough sometimes because you've forgiven that person and you're trying to restore a relationship with them, but now you have to restore trust, right? And that's a, that's a process. That doesn't happen overnight. And you leave yourself open to hurt again, right? right? And that's very hard for some people. You know, to, you're going to reopen yourself to the potential of hurt. But the Bible... 
challenges us to forgive others, remembering how much the Lord forgave us. So confession, repentance, forgiveness, but it's all about reconciliation. So this is my big Christmas word. Uh, all right, so people that know me, uh, what do you think reconciliation came up as in the dictionary for a definition? Reconciling. Right. <laughs> I love it when the dictionary uses the same word to define itself. Reconciliation is defined as the state of being reconciled. Well, thank you for that, Merriam-Webster. Uh, <laughs> I, there's other things too, but it always comes up the first time, and I just think, come on, like if I wanted to know that, I'd just look up what reconciled meant. But reconciling actually starts out, it talks, it's a banking term. So you have, you have two records, two sets of records, and you're trying to align these records. And so you're reconciling, so people uh, bank statements, you're reconciling your statement, what I have on paper to what the bank says I have. Right now I'm trying to find $8.50 in my QuickBooks. So I'm going to be calling my uh, QuickBook expert daughter-in-law to help me with that. But it's a, that reconciliation, you're trying to take these two sets of records. So what it, what it talks about, though, is becoming um, reconciliation in a relationship, is coming back into a proper relationship with one another. So it's these two sets, two sets of records, basically these two people, that there's been a misalignment, and now there's going to be an alignment. And it... So in that, it comes to, let's uh, look at Colossians chapter 1. So this includes, glare, includes you who are once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ, his, the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has bought, brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. So that's reconciliation. We were, here was this, the, the books of God, wanting a relationship with us, wanting us to be in relationship with him. And we were this faltering other set of standards and books. And through the death of his son and through the forgiveness that came through the death and resurrection of his son, it brought the two back into an alignment, right? So he has reconciled you to himself through the death in Christ in his physical body. So the challenge for us is through confession, repentance, and forgiveness to be reconciled into a relationship with someone. And that is a challenge because we don't want to be hurt more than once. <laughs> right? We, you know, like, what's that? Once bitten, twice shy? Is that the, did I get that right? Uh, it, it unnerves us because of the challenge of it. We, we, want, we want to be in right relationship with people, but that, we've been hurt. You know, and it happens with friends, it happens with spouses, it happens between children. You know, uh, we, have, we have four kids. Three of them are here this morning. They didn't always agree with one another about everything, either with each other or us as parents. But yet, there's a relationship there because of the love they have for each other and for us. That we can, we can be aggravated and we say we're sorry and we forgive each other and we have a relationship. And that, that's the expectation that God has for us. That we would be forgiving one another, not with the idea of casting them aside, right? I, I'm going to forgive you, 
but I never want to see you again. Well, is that Christ-like? Is that what Jesus would do? I'm going to forgive you, but I don't want a relationship with you. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches about relationship, relationship with God. Being reconciled to God is writing the balance and becoming one and becoming part of a relationship. And so that's our challenge for Christmas time with loving each other is to maintain proper relationships with one another. And uh, Jasmine and I were talking last night, and I, I don't have the Bible verse or anything, but in, in, the, in the Gospels it talks about if you're going to the altar with your gift and you, you remember that your brother has something against you, then leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled to that person. It's not that I had something against that person. I know that that person has something against me, that something's happened there to strain that relationship, and so I, I need to go and deal with it. That's, that's a tough one. That, you know, well, I hope they understand that they've hurt me, you know, but it should be because you realize that so, your brother has something against you, and you want that to not hinder you in your relationship with God. So poor relationships with people hinder your relationship with God. So my challenge to you this Christmas season and going on into the new year is have a a look and, and see is there people in your peripheral, in your past that you need to actually have a hard look at and hey, I've you need to go confess something to somebody that you, you know, I have it's, it's really hard. I have sinned against you. Well, what have you done? Right? This is what I did and I am sincerely sorry and I am turning away from I want to never do that again to you. I ask for your forgiveness and I want to have a relationship with you. Okay, you can't control their response, but you can control your, your response. Uh, and then if you are that person that is on the receiving end of that, if you're somebody that's confessing something to you and apologizing and repenting, be quick to forgive. Right? Wrap your arms around that person. Take a risk and be reconciled. It is a risk. You, you, your heart is there. Your heart may be, be hurt again. But the Bible says that God loved us so much that he gave his son up for us to have relationship with him. And, and if God was willing to give up so much to have a relationship with us, then what are we willing, what are you willing to give up to have a relationship with someone else? So that's my challenge for you this Christmas. Love one another. And that includes your family. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca. Thank you.